the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We're going to do a pretty expansive Bible study kind of sermon today, and by pretty expansive I mean it'll reach from the first chapter of the Bible to the last chapter of the Bible and a few chapters in between. So, you know, fasten your seatbelts, right? Our first reading for today came from Genesis 11, a chapter that I think of as the end of the beginning of the Bible. I say that because Genesis 1 through 11, as I've come to understand it, this 11 chapter section at the beginning of the Bible, though it names the names of people, like people you've heard of, like Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Enoch and his oldest boy, Methuselah, and Methuselah's grandson, Noah, and though it names places like a garden in a place called Eden, and though it names events like creation, and then eating forbidden fruit, and then later that great flood, and then finally that story we did just here brings it to a close, that story of that tower in that place called Babel. But all of that said, these first 11 chapters of Genesis are not primarily some would actually say not even at all about particular historical people whose graves you can go visit or particular historical events that you can put on a timeline or particular geographical places that you can pinpoint on a map but are rather above all the Bible's prehistory story about all people in all times and places including you and me here and now. This, this 1 to 11, this is a story about us. In that sense, Genesis 1 to 11 lays the foundation 
not only of the whole rest of the Bible's story, as it points to humanity's need for a savior, and then humanity's getting the gift of a savior, Jesus, the Messiah, come to save the world from its sins. But in that sense, Genesis 1 to 11 lays the foundation also for the whole rest of all the time that humans will be given on this earth until the Bible ends by saying Jesus comes again. Today we're going to look at three particular Bible stories within that biblical overall story. Our second lesson for today, which tells the story of this day called Pentecost. Our first lesson for today, which tells that Genesis 11 story of that Tower of Babel. And a story we didn't read today, that being the very first story of every story the Bible will ever tell. The story which tells us from the beginning that the world and all who live in it were not accidented or coincidented into being. They were created into being. And the Creator was God, who created humans for the purpose of... Are you kidding me? Right here at the beginning of the Bible, are you telling me the Bible tells me the purpose of life? Well, as it turns out, yes it did. You should have looked earlier. <laughs> humans, says the Bible, from the beginning were created for the Trinitarian purpose of joyfully, obediently loving God, loving one another, and lovingly caring for the creation God created. The first man and woman, however, says Genesis 3, representing all men and women, a detail pointed to in part by the fact that here at the beginning of the story, they aren't even given names yet. Here at this point in the story, they are just called the man and the woman whose particular names in this, at this point in the story, I want to say, are the names of all of us who heard and who hear still, who listened to and who listened to still, who obeyed and who too often obey still the whisper of another idea that goes like this. Obeying God seems to be kind of unnecessarily and kill-joyingly limiting, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't life be more fun? In fact, wouldn't life be better if you could be your own God? Decide for your own self what would be good or not for you yourself personally. And hearing that voice claiming to have a better idea than the Creator God's idea, humans, rather than obeying and worshiping God, says Genesis 3, humans who later would be given names like Adam and Eve and Roger and you, bit. Only then to discover, and in the case of the first man and woman, to discover immediately that they had been lied to. Because as it turns out, life where we and others are all our own gods, living on our own terms, and according to our own will, other than the will of God, actually isn't life at all. It is death. Our news feeds document this daily. Genesis 3 goes on to say that God then drove this still unnamed man and woman from the Garden of Eden and its tree of life, not as a way of spiritually spanking them or something, but rather by way of sparing them 
from now eating the tree of life and therefore living dead for forever. Driving these two living but now dying from the tree of life, in other words, wasn't the Bible's first act of punishment. It was rather one of the God of the Bible's very first acts of mercy. Fast forwarding through these 11 chapters that are the beginning and foundation not only of the rest of the Bible story but the rest of human history, we see in them, and of course we see still today, sin again and again begetting sin. And pain experienced again and again begetting pain inflicted. And death now on the horizon again and again begetting the deaths of others at the hands of those still acting as though they are gods and so life and death is in their hands until comes that story of the creator gods really it kind of seems like an attempted reboot of creation for good via Noah and his family and that ark and those two by twos by two by twos of animals and that great flood and oh my after the flood there was so much promise the sun on one horizon a rainbow on the other and God again speaking to and being heard in creation this time by this man named Noah who it says heard God saying to him by and large the very first thing God had said to his his first ancestors that man and that woman that God created this time God saying that all the people that are now and ever will be Noah you and your descendants are my beloved you are created in my own image to scatter throughout the earth, there to abound and flourish, and to do so for good, as is my loving desire for you. The first generation of Noah's descendants, says the next chapter, did at least begin to scatter throughout the earth as per God's command and desire until time passed as time does. And forgetfulness got forgetful at forget fast forgetfulness does. And pride got prideful as pride does. And faithfulness lost its steam. As faith succumbing to forgetfulness and pride inevitably does. And the descendants of Noah, listening not in this case to the words and desires of a serpent, but rather listening to the words and desires of each other, decided as had their first ancestors that they had a better idea than living according to the desires of God. And so in Genesis 11, in our first reading for today, it says that they stopped scattering and began gathering then to say with each other, here's a great idea. Let's build a tower with its top in heaven. And then let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we'll be scattered upon the face of the earth. Scattering throughout the earth, of course, was precisely what God had told them to do, right? 
But here, rather, as had been seen before and is yet to be seen again and again and again and again in not only the Bible's chapters but also the world's history chapters and also our daily news headlines by and large every day, all of which in their own ways tell us again and again that you can't not turn to the voice of your own hubris and your own arrogant desires without turning from that is the voice of God's desires which are ever writ not with arrogance but with love let us build a great tower as high as God arrogance said in this case and let us make a name for ourselves to be clear they already had a name right their name was created by God and loved by God by all that God had done but now they wanted their name to be great with the greatness of what they would do let's be clear again there's nothing wrong with doing great things Mother, Mother Teresa said we are all called to do all things including seemingly small things with great love and that's a great thing but if what you do is the definition of both your identity and your value that is not going to turn out well for you. First of all, because if you think you are worth and what you are defined by, by what you do, there will inevitably be a corner in your mind that will never be quite able to convince itself that you've actually done enough actually to be anyone at all or to be worth anything at all not to mention the fact that the time will come to us all the time does come when doing isn't something one is able to do anymore and then who are you and what are you if what you are and who you are is what you do what you are and what you do are both important things but they're not the same things for who you are is not an accomplishment. It is a given. The giver being the God of grace who created you, breathed life into you, and in the case of the baptized, poured out upon you in the waters of your baptism the promise that who you are is God's beloved child. What you do as the created and gifted and beloved of God is then your gift of thanks to God and part of your way of worshiping God as your words and actions then go on to become the gift of God's love for others and for the world alive in God's world because God gave the world you. But that doesn't happen, that won't happen when we settle in and lay foundations in lands of Babel. There, arrogantly to turn from the desires and greatness of God, instead to build monuments to the greatness and desires of us. Which Noah's, says Genesis 11, Noah's descendants agreed. That just sounded like a grand idea. God, it said, said, oh my, this isn't good. Because God being God, God knew what you wish, not just the pages of scripture, but all the pieces of pages of history and the pages of our news feeds would by now have led us at last to know 
That being that the arrogantly united and arrogantly like-minded pursuit of self-interest and the desires only of the self and self-proclaimed greatness, none of which can be striven for without having lost interest in the greatness and the desires of God, is a recipe for nothing good. And so God, once again, this is not an act of punishment. This is another act of mercy. As God says, and God took these proudly arrogant, who all spoke the same language and birthed among them instead multitudes of different languages and no longer able to understand each other, they abandoned their heaven scraper plans and did begin at last to scatter across the earth. And though our news feeds tell us they were still, and our history books tell us they were still arrogant and pursuing most often self-ascribed greatness and only self-interest with little interest in the interests of God, at least they were now no longer able to unite on this path, which, like all paths that are about ourselves with nothing to do with God, would not have panned out to be a stairway to heaven but a highway to hell. That story being a story that has been told again, for example, these last 102 days in, Don, in the Donbass. After that towering story of towering human hubris does take us to the end of the beginning, we now turn to Acts 2. And a moment in both time and history, that moment being 50 days after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, Jesus who on the 40th day, ascending to return to the Father in heaven again, had told his followers to follow the descendants of Noah to the ends of the earth, there now to reach to them with the grace and saving power of their God who in Christ forgives sinners and raises the dead from death to new life starting right here and now and unto forever. But wait, he said, wait, 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 wait. Don't quite start yet to go out to be the church I called you to be. Don't wait forever, but wait because it's a bigger task than just you but it is not bigger than you, empowered by the Spirit of God, which will soon be poured out upon you. And when it is with the Spirit, my church has everything it needs to be my church and to heal my world home again. And you heard the story, Jews from all over the world speaking each their own languages from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem for a Jewish feast called Pentecost and the disciples obedient to Jesus' command. There's an idea, obey. They're in Jerusalem too, waiting and praying. And in that dramatic scene, which it says sounded like a windstorm and looked like a firestorm, the Holy Spirit, Jesus had promised, was poured out upon them. And empowered by the Spirit, they each began to do something they none of them, of course, could have done on their own. They began to preach Christ in the native tongues of those who had gathered in Jerusalem from the ends of the earth, which surely must have sounded like Babel. Don't you think? All these different languages spoken all aloud all at once, except it wasn't Babel. It was actually the reversal of Babel. 
not because everybody suddenly spoke all the same language again, as Genesis 11 says they had before Babel, but rather because now, each in their own languages, their own native tongues, the languages, in other words, not only of their heads, but also of their hearts, heard the language of God's heart. That being the language of the love of God for all in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God's vision of unity, you see, is not as it turns out that everyone should be all the same and think all the same and speak all the same language and even believe all the same things. I mean, let's be clear, being all the same and thinking all the same and speaking all the same language and believing all the same things is precisely what had led to that attempt at that God-defying building program in the first place. God's vision of unity, rather, is that all people of all stripes and persuasions and creeds be spoken to in the language of Jesus. Which, to be clear, has many, 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 many dialects. But when spoken truly, only one mother tongue. That being the mother tongue of God's love. God's healing and saving and raising from the dead love for all people. People of God, people of Pentecost, go, because you, you know this, there's still a lot of, damned a lot of, babble in this world. Empowered by the Spirit, people of God, people of Pentecost, go to every tower in this world that truly is babble, because it truly isn't love. And be Christ's church by speaking and being God's love whose highest desire is to have God's way, love's way, all the way from the bottom of your heart to the ends of the earth. For it is love, it is only love. Doesn't matter how many weapons we keep setting, Maybe we need to, but it's only love that has the power to tear down all of Babel's towers as it simultaneously raises up Babel's dead. From fear to love, from despair to hope, from angst to peace, from arrogance to humility, from death to new life, here and now and unto forever. Amen.